much for being here. Welcome to Crossbridge Community Church, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jordan. If this is your first time visiting with us today, I'm our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at C3 and have the privilege of continuing our Christmas series today called Fear Not. Fear Not. And uh, if you missed last week, um, Brad kicked us off walking us through... Um, Quite a bit of just this concept of fear and how so often in our lives and in, in our relationships and in our families and in our jobs and our careers and how we're wired, how fear often derails us from what God created us to do and our purpose. And as you look from Genesis all the way to Revelation and then the story beyond of, of how often fear serves as a villain in our lives, um, it becomes pretty evident. And last week, as, as Brad was sharing, and, and Brad is one of those people, he loves the Christmas season. Him and Barb, they start celebrating um, all the way back in summertime. And he was sharing how one of his favorite uh, songs is Christmas Shoes. And so we were talking this last week, and if you weren't a part of the service, just um, it's also one of my favorite Christmas songs. And so this week we were talking, about, like, what if we did something really cool? Okay, Brad, what if, how about this? At the end of services, we encourage people to approach you playing Christmas shoes on their phone. And for every person that does, Brad said he would donate $2 to the Salvation Army Jingle Bell uh, Donation Center. And so, hey, friends, I want us to get up that number. He's in a generous mood, loves the song, and I think that, heck, I'll even throw in a dollar for everyone that hugs them afterwards as well. I think it would be incredible. So that is our mission. If you're watching online, text Brad the link. If you need his number, private message me. I'll send it to you. Um, but hey, uh, oh man, what a great time to be alive. And so I'm just really excited to be here. For those of you, uh, you know, Brad shared last week I was sick for, for about a week, a couple, uh, and missed last Sunday, and just really excited to be back. And be a part of this Christmas season with all of you and preparing our hearts for Jesus and the arrival of Jesus and the expectancy of Jesus. And uh, friends, I just got to be honest, though, Christmas is, is difficult for, for myself. Um, and, and for those that know, you know, our story, I lost my dad a week before Christmas when I was a teenager. And so just the idea of celebrating Christmas and this holiday season and all of the joy, it really wasn't until my son Uriah was born that there was almost like a, a switch that flipped in my mind to start to be excited about this, this time. Um, there's a lot of heaviness, I know, for a lot of us with suffering, for those who experience loss and grief during this season, um, or for those who battle mental illness with seasonal depression. But there's also, I think, just kind of in the background where that tension in lies is that in the background, there's this expectancy. There's this, there's this itching of something, there has to be something better than this. And I want you to know that that, that itch, that expectancy has a word and, and of this arrival, and it's, it's Advent. It's why we celebrate Advent during this time period. The word Advent means arrival of someone notable, someone important, this expectancy that there's got to be something coming that is going to fix this, or repair this, or as Christians believe, redeem this. And that's what the Israelites were at during the Christmas season. In fact, it had been 400 years of silence from God, from the final 
words of the prophets in Malachi in the Old Testament to the coming of Jesus, the advent, the expectant, the arrival of Jesus, 400 years had passed. Can you imagine that? Like, I want you to think back to, they had had prophet after prophet, words after words from Jesus, from God, from the Holy Spirit, who had been speaking to them through scrolls and through scriptures and through the voice of God and through miracles and sending prophets, and they had been walking with God, and God was still dwelling among them. God was still a part of them, but then there was 400 years of silence. How many of us, like, give up on what God has shown us after just one day of silence? And yet it had been year after year, and there was this expectancy. And I think that's why I've grown, once again, to love the Christmas season. Because amidst the silence, amidst the brokenness, amidst the suffering, there's still joy knowing that there is something and someone who holds the future. And that joy name is Jesus. And so that, that is why I'm excited to be here and excited for, for this message. What we're going to do today, um, Brad kind of kicked us off last week, like I shared, talking about uh, Mary and then looking at how often fear just derails us from our purpose and from our calling. And, and we've talked over the last couple of years about how so many Crossbridgers come to us asking, you know, why was I created? And what was I created to do? The why, your purpose, why you were created, your calling, what you were created to do to fulfill that purpose. And we've talked, you know, all throughout this year that our purpose is broken up into, into three things, to love God, to love others, and the third part, which is probably the most important in relation to our uniqueness, is to use your life to glorify God. That is our purpose. That is why we were created. Your calling is what you were specifically, you specifically were created to do to fulfill that purpose. And that, that calling, that concept, that idea is what drives people either closer toward God or farther away. And amidst what appears to be silence or brokenness or fear of the future, I think that is where a lot of the... Um, a lot of the corruptness, destruction, maybe fear tendencies that pull us away from what God has created us to do, that's where a lot of that lives and dwells. And so what we're going to do today, like I said, Brad kind of kicked off the series last week. I want to take us back now hundreds and hundreds of years to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. I, get, I have the privilege of preaching this week and next week, and then we have our Christmas Eve service. So I want to walk through the life of David and, and go through kind of his 35 to 40-year tenure before he really started to experience his calling and his purpose. And then we're going to go to the prophet Isaiah, who prepared our heart for what Jesus had to do. Because when we're talking about fear, and when we're talking about purpose, and we're talking about calling, we're talking about Advent, and being expectant and being um, and living in that tension of feeling like God has created you specifically for something more, but there's fear or there's apathy or there is laziness or there is tension or there is suffering that is drawing you away from what God has called you to do. It's important for us to go back to the fathers and mothers of our time to see how they responded toward fear and adversity. So that's why I want to take us back. And David is a key 
um, person, individual, part of the story for this Christmas story that often doesn't uh, get celebrated or reflected on enough. And so uh, what we're going to do, we're going to walk through 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17, walk through David's calling, his anointing, and then go into him slaying giants. And then we're going to go to one of the most powerful Christmas passages in Isaiah and then end with three takeaways. And so uh, would you pray with me as, as we prepare our hearts for today? Holy Father, Holy One, wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, you are I am. And as we are in this Advent season and as we are expecting your arrival, Jesus, amidst either our suffering or our excitement or our joy, we know that this season is so much bigger than us. And that the good news of the gospel is that we can surrender our sin freely given to you to have the gift of salvation and life through your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, come, have your way with us. Holy Spirit, come, have your way with us as we lean into your presence today. And all God's people said, amen. Well, hey, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to look at the very early life of David. David is the youngest son, a part of Jesse's family. And Samuel, kind of what had happened is Israel had wanted a king. They had begged God to lead them. We actually did an entire series at the beginning of the year walking through the life of Judges and the book of Judges where the Israelites had desperately wanted someone to come for God to send them this, this they, they had been living in the season of Advent, of arrival, of expectancy for a long time. They had begged God for a leader. And so God sent judges and God sent prophets and, and was trying to help them lead. But eventually, toward the end of Judges, I, it actually might be the last verse. It's where, where they say, and they, they, they wanted a king. They needed a king. And so God sends them a king. And, and, and King Saul comes and he leads them. And eventually, he, he surrenders his, his uh, discipline and he surrenders his faithfulness to God for worldly things, becomes corrupt and becomes sinful. And so then God sends Samuel to go to the house of Jesse to find Israel's future king to replace King Saul. And that's where this story picks up. We're going to walk through kind of two chapters of Scripture. I'm going to pick a couple verses and then fill in the details. But I really want you to understand how God is setting up this story for Jesus hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, but how important it is for us to recognize the decisions that David made early on in his life prepared what God was going to do later on in his life. And so 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10 through 12 uh, if you want to read with me here, G, uh, Jesse goes and he looks at the different sons and one after one from oldest to youngest, they just weren't who God was anointing and who God was calling. And so this is what Samuel writes in verse 10. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, come or send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the 
Isn't it fascinating how Jesse didn't even consider David the youngest of his sons? And this was common practice. Whenever Israelites and, and, and men of their day, when they were sending out leaders, they would send their finest, their strongest, their most handsome, their healthiest, their eldest child to go out and to do the greatest work. So they didn't even consider David who was out tending sheep. And David's very young when he receives this anointing. But then has to wait years and years and years before he is able to actually pursue this specific calling of leading Israel. In fact, so we get to chapter 17, and what happens is uh, David, he goes back and forth between Jesse's house, his father's house, tending sheep, aiding the brothers, aiding the family, and then he goes to the king, and he starts playing music for him to help with his anxiety and with King Saul's fear and with his demons, and so he starts helping King Saul, but he's going back and forth. He's this servant. He has just been told he's going to replace King Saul. He's just been told that he is going to be anointed as Israel's king, and he goes into this period of serving. And so many of us, when we receive kind of this itch or this vision or this dream for God, we're not willing to do the hard work to get to what God has in store for us. So then after that time period, David then, um, he goes back to his his time and and his, his father with Jesse. The sons actually go off to war with the Israelites against the Philistines. And then this is for, you know, many of us, we know this common story of David and Goliath. And, and the Israelites go to battle with Philistine. And Goliath, uh, you know, when you look at the, the, the words in Hebrew, is believed to have been nine foot nine, which is like two of me. Nine foot nine. And comes from this, this land of giants and this land of, of, of large just, just individuals who were corrupt and who were sinful and who were toxic leaders. And they're going to battle and nobody wants to fight Goliath. And so we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8 through 11. This is what Samuel writes. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified dismayed and terrified. Remember those words because it's going to be essential for the story in a little bit. David then, he is sent by Jesse. Okay? Chapter 17, verse 17 through 19. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry over to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brother and bring them back to me with some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Allah fighting against the Philistines. And so Jesse, he pulls his son David aside who is outside of the battle. He says, bring some food to your brothers. Bring some bread and bring some cheese. And so David does this. He brings some bread and cheese, but really he's bringing these resources to his brothers who are in battle against the Philistines specifically so that they can have some assurance of their safety. 
And so David goes there, he gets there, and, and he sees the Israelites who are terrified of this battle, terrified of, what, what, of God leading them against the Philistines, against their, their, their sinfulness, their, their hatredness. And he kind of hears the, the stories, and he sees all of what God is, is willing to do for them. And Goliath comes out, and he, every day he shares this, this notion, he shares this proclamation, who is willing to fight me? Nobody's there, and so David's kind of here. Remember, he's young, and he's hearing, and he's listening, and he's seeing, and he's got this anointing on him that he's going to lead Israel. He's like, hey, um, I, I could fight this giant. And this is what Saul replies, 1 Samuel 17, 33. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it. This is kind of David flexing for a little bit, by the way. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. We're going to stop there for a second before we go to this next verse. I mean, David was fighting animals with his bare hands. As you look at David's story, how many opportunities could fear have derailed him from his anointing? Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying go out and fight like lions at the zoo or anything. Like, if you feel like God's called you to do something, you could, I think you can do that without risking your life in that way. Some of you. I mean, Brad might have, you know, a higher calling. Who knows? So, but when you see David's life, and, and especially when you get to the safety the person who tended the sheep had such a high calling, even though they were often the lesser of the family members. Because if wild animals were to come out and to attack your, your, your livestock, this wasn't, this wasn't just like pets that they owned. This was their livelihood. This was their wealth. For those in Israelite camps, the amount of uh, either livestock that you had, this was, this was your inheritance, your wealth. And so you had to protect. You had to put your life on the line. And there was no fear in David. Next verse. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, what an insult, will be like one of them. Because he's talking about Goliath. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And so then they tried to dress David in Saul's army gear. And it was too big for him. And so he instead says, I can't use this. I'm not familiar with this. I need to do what God has equipped me to do. So he goes out, he grabs five smooth stones from the brook, and he goes to battle against this giant. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. 
This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the wild animals, and the entire world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And so David then, he goes to battle, and he destroys Goliath, takes him down. And then Saul kind of witnesses David. And, and what we have happened next is David then goes and he becomes a general. He works his way up to become a general in Saul's army. And he has more success after King Saul. Battle after battle after battle. Years after years after years. He's still serving King Saul. And he starts to gain popularity and ranks and eventually replaces King Saul as the king. Years and years and years and years after his original anointing from God. Which brings us to this prophet, Isaiah's words, chapter 8. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Isaiah is quoting, he's talking as, as a prophet, he's talking about how so often the Israelites landed in darkness because of their decisions, because of their idolatry, because of their sin, because of their shame, and they continue to choose humanity and the world instead of God. They were craving a king. God sends them a king. And then they started craving idolatry and sexual immorality and wealth and sin. And so then God sends them prophets. And it wasn't good enough. But then we get to chapter 9, this word. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and then the land of Naphtali. But in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. Beyond the Jordan, he's talking, and it's such beautiful imagery. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of the Midian's defeat, you have shattered the voice and the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire, and here we go, very famous, very famous prophecy. For to us, a child is born. 
to us a son is given. And then don't forget this verse. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I want to stop there for a second. That's actually, Ethan, can you go back to slide before? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. You've got to remember, they had been, Israelites had been waiting and waiting, and then they received kings, they received prophets, they received leaders, they received judges. And then we've got this prophecy because God, God always knew humanity's corruption, our sin would win. But then he announces through Isaiah that he's going to send a savior. He's going to send a Messiah. And we've done an entire series years ago called His Name Shall Be, where we walk through these four titles. And Jesus, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign, and then this is how it all connects, on David's throne. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And when you go to Matthew chapter 1, which is this, um, it walks through the genealogy of Jesus, where you've got the, the generations and generations, and you see that Jesus came through David. And this was, David was one of the Israelites, the Hebrews, all-stars. And so when they're hearing that their Savior, Messiah, is going to come through the life of David, King David, they are expecting a king who will rule for once and all. And honestly, we would too. We would expect a warrior we would expect someone to come and to lead the armies of Israel against our enemies. And instead, Jesus comes as a servant, as a sacrifice to die for us. And as I talked about a couple weeks ago in our sermon on Revelation, Jesus is coming back. And guess what? Jesus only had to die once. We know there will be victory. He conquered death with his first coming. He's going to establish eternal life with his second coming. And so that's our promise. But during this Christmas season, we want to, again, bring us back to try to place us in position of what the Israelites were experiencing because many of us are experiencing similar silence and similar suffering and similar expectations of God. We're expecting God to come into our lives today and to conquer and to, to defeat and to establish um, just easiness, if we're being honest. And during this waiting period of Jesus' second coming, that's not the promise we have. Promises we have include suffering, include trials, include pain, include silence, for us to be expectant of our Savior once again. And so friends, here's how I want to end today. We've walked through this life of David. We saw how David was crucial in the story to establish the kingdom and how in his establishment, he probably 
influenced the expectations of the Israelites because, like I said, they were expecting a warrior and instead they got a savior, a messiah. And so here's what I want to do. I want to walk through three takeaways from all of this story and, and specifically David's life. Takeaway number one is this, okay? As we look at David's life, and we saw him anointed as a very young age. And then he was still tending sheep. He was a servant. He was uh, the marathon runner from place to place bringing food to his brothers. God was preparing David for the cost of his calling. Takeaway number one. So many of us, especially when we're dealing with our purpose and our calling, we want to jump right in. And David had waited years and years and years of God preparing him. I heard a pastor once say this way, if you want to slay giants, you've got to bring the cheese first. Before David got to Goliath, he had to bring 10 cheese heads. Hear that, Joe? Where's Joe? My Packers fan back there. If you want, if you want to slay the beast, you got to go through the itty-gritty of this difficult football season, okay? So many of us, we want... The glory we want, not even the glory from like a pride standpoint, even just for things to get easy. How many of us right now are dealing with broken marriages? Or as kids where they see their parents struggling? How many of us are dealing with grief or loss or mental illness or financial instability or inflation? How many of us are walking through silence right now? We're wanting God to step in. Friends, I want you to know, just like with David, God is preparing you perhaps for the cost of your calling. Takeaway number one. Takeaway number two. The cost of the calling is usually what derails the calling for most Christians. This is why we titled this series, Fear Not. How many times does fear of our calling or of what God is calling, expecting us to do, derails us? from what God created us to do. And no calling is too big or too small. No calling is too big or too small. My uncle, who uh, he, he no longer does, he, he worked for World Vision, and he was the founder of Team World Vision, which was a nonprofit attached to World Vision that would raise money for, for uh, wa clean water in Africa through triathlons. And he told me, he, he shared with me, he said, I don't believe I was the first person that God placed this dream on their heart. I was just the first person who answered the call. And so many times fear derails us from answering the call. Or apathy derails us for answering the call. Or monotony or being, or even laziness, or even just being content with being comfortable. And friends, God created us for so much more. And maybe right now you're feeling this itch or you're asking, you're like, I have no idea why I was created because I'm talking from the perspective of understanding why we were created. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I have no idea. I'm just kind of going through the motions trying to figure it out. I want you to know you're in a very safe and good place for that. And we would love to be able to walk with you, but we can't walk with you unless you approach us. That's often the first step for people who don't know how they're wired. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, hey, I've got this itch. I feel like God is maybe pulling me or I'm not feeling anything at all and I want to feel something. Find one of us and let's walk with you. 
Let's figure out how you're wired, how you're gifted. Let's pray about what is next for you. Because too often, the cost of the calling usually derails the calling itself. Friends, it doesn't need to be that way. When we see David's life, and with, without David doing some very important things early on, bringing the cheese, playing the harp, going to battle, he would have never been able to experience the anointing of the kingdom. Last takeaway is this. This is a quote from um, theologian, pastor, Tim Keller says this, the peace of God is not the absence of fear. It, peace, is in fact God's presence. And so friends, I wanted to close with that today because so often when we start pursuing what God has in store for us and fear the liar starts to place different lies and temptations in our head to derail us from our calling, to derail us from God, to derail us from the mission, the gospel, the good news. We want God to just take it away. But just like Brad talked about last week and how we've kind of made this the theme for the series is, is that if you want to experience what God has in store for you, it's not going to be void of fear. The closer you get to your purpose and your calling and you get to chasing after God, the more the temptation to step away is going to increase. The greater that temptation, the greater that fear. Not because God is, is causing it, but because the enemy is striking hard to prevent you, to derail you. And so just like the peace of God, we often, we want this peace I'm experiencing it. That's not the absence of fear. It's simply just the presence of God. And I want you to find assurance in knowing that. So friends, here's what I, you know, we're going to do to close. Just kind of your next step. Perhaps you have an itch to take a next step. Perhaps you have no idea what that next step is. And that's okay. Jordan at c3fw.org. Shoot me an email right after service. Or if you're here in person, Let's connect. Can you imagine even, I mean, there's, you know, 45, 50 people here in person, another 10 online. Can you imagine if 55 people all started to chase after what God had in store for them? Or for those of you who have your calling figured out, can you imagine if you started helping other people in that? What does that look like? Constant communication. Constant prayer for others. Constant walking. Being there in the darkness and the silence. Being there in the Bible studies and the discipleship. Being there in the sacrifice and the service. Okay, what would it look like if we as a church conquered fear through God together? I mean, man, that would be incredible. But it's going to come back. And there's going to be temptation to step off the path. So as we prepare for this Christmas season, this Advent, this arrival of Jesus... I want to encourage you with this. Don't allow the fear to stop you from being faithful. Don't allow the fear to stop you from being faithful. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the life of David who showed us what it looked like to do the nitty-gritty, to do the ugly work, to bring the cheese, to slay giants, to serve a toxic leader in King Saul, to go to war, to go to battle, to be the underdog. And it is through 
his service, that we were able to have Jesus come through his line. Isn't that so cool? The decisions David made propelled and pushed forward the kingdom of God. Perhaps we have a few Davids or a few Deborahs or a few Ruths or a few Boazes, a few Marys, a few Zacharias, a few Josephs here in this story in this church today who you have called them through your angel to fear not, do not be afraid, for a king is coming. And what would it look like if we answered that call? I pray, God, that whoever is feeling an itch or even just wanting to take a next step or wanting to lead others in taking that next step, that they would do so. In your name I pray.